0: Oh my gosh, today's podcast, absolutely mind-blowing. This is with Hank and Sue Ann Fortner. These guys have started an organization that has raised $26 million for literally hundreds of families. Thousands, babe. Thousands, thousands. Fa- millions. No, thousands. <laughs> thousands, though to be able to overcome the biggest barrier to adoption for many people, which is the financial constraints. And so they're going to share some of their story. Hank was raised in a home that had 36 foster kids come through. They, his mom and dad adopted eight kids from five countries. They have an amazing story, but amazing. what they're doing is literally solving some of the issues within uh, adoption. So enjoy this conversation. Hey friends, I'm Chris Bennett. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Julie. Hey
1: everyone.
0: Together, we're going to explore the life-changing power of family. So
1: pull up a chair, grab a cup of coffee and join us on Finding Family. Family, All in this together. Family, we're taking a chance.
0: We're so excited today to be joined by our new friends, uh, Hank and Sue Ann Fortner. And uh, man, thank you guys, especially we're recording this in an evening when you guys have kids and that are still awake and not put them to bed yet. So thanks for we're making time. We're right
2: now. So this is great. We have an official reason. Nice.
0: <laughs> well, um, you know, we have a lot of ground we want to cover with you guys, but once you kind of bring us in a little bit to your, your story, who are you guys?
2: Uh, yeah, my name is Hank, and I am uh, the husband of, I'm Sue Ann's husband, mm-hmm. and she's here.
3: Hello.
0: all makes sense now, okay.
2: And, uh, we have two kids, and we live in Los Angeles, and we run a nonprofit organization called AdoptTogether.org. Uh, we also were part of a group of people who founded a holiday, uh, an observance day called World Adoption Day.
0: Which was November 9th, Is that right?
2: Yes, just passed.
0: And for those that are aware that that's the a lot of times you'll see the the palm with the smiley face on it. You guys started that. It's amazing. How long ago was that? What year?
2: We started that 2014.
0: Okay, amazing.
2: amazing. So is this our seventh? That's when I bought the domain. So that's I got the receipts for that. I think our first year was 14. Yeah, first year was okay. 14.
0: And can you kind of take us back about, you know, Hank, I know some of your story. I mean, obviously, you had a really unique upbringing with your family that led to kind of this passion for adoption. But can you pull us into your your journey a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a state-certified foster home in Montgomery County, Ohio, which is in between Dayton and Cincinnati uh, in Dayton, Ohio. My parents had three of us kids biologically. And my parents got started young. They were both Catholic kids who came out of college. And my my mom's senior year of college, she was pregnant. So they got married. Uh, so my dad is only 22 years older than me. My dad is 21 years older than my sister and 24 years older than my brother. Had three of us really quickly. And then my mom says that they had a midlife crisis at 25 because now they have three kids in a house and they're like, I guess we just go until we die. But like I guess that's like what people go through in their 30s and 40s. And my parents went through it at 25 and my mom said, I didn't, I didn't imagine that my life was just some suburban thing. Uh I want to have children and I want to take care of children and I want to make I want my life to matter. I want to take care of kids don't have someone taking care of them. So when I was seven, she sat down and told me and my brother and sister that we were going to be foster parents. And I remember saying, I'm seven. I don't, I'm not a, fo-. she looked at me and said, We are gonna be foster parents. I was like, You mean you and dad? She goes, No, we are gonna be foster parents. I'm like, I'm seven. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I know I'm responsible and amazing, but I don't. <laughs> and take, humble. I can take care yeah. of <laughs> and she said, Kids who need love do not care how old you are. Wow. Oh. And so we took our jobs very seriously. Mostly my oldest sister and I, she was eight and a half, I think at the time, and I was seven and we had our first foster child. And over the next seven years, my sister and I would become the most active seven and eight year old foster parents you've ever met. So for the next seven years, we fostered over 36 kids. Um, Some would.
3: All with special needs.
2: And all with special needs. My mom said, I do not want to be your first call. I want to be your third When No one else will take a foster child you can knock on our door. So all of them had special needs, feeding tubes, seizures, uh, behavioral disorders. Uh, we had a lot of crack babies. If you're familiar with that phrase, and it's not a, a common phrase used anymore, but a child whose mother used crack in utero. And so uh, you'd have underdeveloped tracheas and you'd have underdeveloped stomachs and you had children that had like uh, hearts that were a quarter the size they should be and were on oxygen. So we had a lot of times we had nurses, 24 uh, hour care, um, nurses who would be dedicated then to the child. So then they'd be in our home. So then we'd become friends with them and we'd learn all sorts of things growing up. And some kids would stay for a couple of months at a time. Some kids would stay for a couple of years at a time. And, um, know we did that for, that was the, my, my most formidable upbringing upbringing from seven to 14
0: Oh my gosh. And where was your dad in this? I mean, I heard something you said in a Ted talk jokingly, but maybe not your dad's goal was to make your mom happy. Right. But where, where was he kind of that idea of she sounded like maybe spearheaded some of that, but I, where was your dad in the process of this?
2: Yeah. She, I heard somebody say one time that like, what precedes your calling in life is, uh, your Popeye moment and in the old Popeye cartoon there's a moment where Popeye says, I've had all I can stands and I can't stand it no more. Mm-hmm. And I think for my mom, that was what she felt when she would think to this moment, to this day, my 65 year old mother would break down in a sobbing heap. If I showed her a photo or if she followed someone on Instagram who shows you right now, she's really obsessed with children in foster homes who are blind, who don't have families. Okay. And she's really consumed with, there's so many kids globally that they cannot find homes for because they're blind and families don't feel equipped to it. And she, she just can't stand that there'd be kids in a family. So this was not like political for her. It was not like planned family planning. It was none of that. It was, I cannot stand it that a kid would not have a place to live and someone to love them and heal their wounds. And my dad sort of got out of the way of that and said, I think my job is to get behind this and push. And that's what he did. I mean, he was, Not only was he extremely dedicated and like an amazing dad who had, we did long adventures every Saturday and he would take me on hunting trips when I was growing up on Thanksgiving. And like we spent seven of those Thanksgivings at a hunting camp in Southern Georgia. Like my dad was dedicated and he was a part of the team and, and in the back pushing behind my mom's sort of vision. And and I don't think it's like I say vision or like mission or purpose or these like big words. It wasn't that it was, my stomach aches at the thought that there'd be children who don't have a family. We're going to just fix that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a compulsion. Does that make sense? Like, I think that's what real, the older I get, the more I realize you don't like go to a conference and find your passion. You don't have a vision for your life or any of that like cliche stuff. You just can't breathe without thinking of, I have to solve this thing. And my mom was that person when I was seven and is that person to this day, it hasn't, it, it hasn't faded for her one bit.
0: Wow. Sue Ann, did you have any type of background like that in terms of adoption or foster care?
3: I did not. <laughs> I, I married into it. <laughs> nah. um, when I met Hank in LA in 05, his parents had just come home with his youngest sibling. So they were mm-hmm. like nine months old and, um, It was kind of really my first introduction to um, more of an alternative family um, Mm. construct. Mm. Adoption is not or was not very popular or talked about in Korean culture. Mm. And there's some shame still stigmatized with that in some Asian countries, you know? Really interesting. And, um, really not, not viewed like in America as mother's choice, but, um, kind of a mother's shame that she couldn't,
0: Okay, right. you know what wow.
3: I mean? Wow. Um, so when our friends came to us and we were, you know, newly married, saying we want to adopt, but, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. How did your parents do this eight times to- or eight times? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eight times. It was really our first introduction to the cost of adoption and how okay. it is a it is a major barrier to mm-hmm. most people choosing to adopt. OK. And um, that kind of led to this discovery of of the limits and us starting adopt together in 2012.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Because when you're a kid, you know, your parents are worried about money. Like worry is like a relative term, but like my kids would say, we worry about money. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You're just aware of it all the time because you have to be. Yeah. And then you, but you're not aware of how aware your parents are of money. (laughs) So I think when I got someone said, Hey, how did your parents afford that? I was like, that's a really good question. Like (laughs) we drove old cars and we replaced engines on every single car that my family owned. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. My dad was like, yeah, I got a new engine. You can just like pay a couple grand and they put a new <laughs> You don't have to
0: get a, a whole car, new car. You just get an engine. And then I got, well, I was surprised
2: when people like didn't do that. Like I was like, oh, you don't, well, you just get a new engine. They're like, what? <laughs> like, that's just how we live.
0: Yeah. So we were like work. not
2: rich, not wealthy, not money people. I, we didn't get on. I only got on the airplane twice and it was because mm-hmm. my grandfather flew me somewhere like we i don't know how my parents paid for it so i called my dad and i was like how did you afford this like everyone is telling me it's tens of thousands of dollars he's like yeah we pay for that that is that is yes that is what it's called oh i'm aware of how it's been. it's like wow. you know pump your brakes i know how, it, how expensive <laughs> it was i paid for it eight times i'm totally aware of what it costs
3: but he was like that's why we never had new car. That's why we yeah. never went out to eat. That's why So they, they were
0: willing to sacrifice some of the comforts that a lot of people maybe wouldn't for the sake of taking these kids in because you, so there was 36 foster kids, but they adopted eight kids, five different countries. And then I imagine you guys just having the conversations and realizing, okay, like you said, finances, there may be a desire to adopt, but then people hit this barrier of, well, we can't afford it. Right. Or that, that seems like a major obstacle. Um, yeah, and
2: don't get it twisted. Like we, a lot of people can't, even if they do eat, drink eat at Wendy's and don't flip the engine in their car, don't have 50,000 cash to go pay for an adopt. Like,
0: so is that what it, it was averaged to adopt? is is 50,000.
2: If you adopt from foster care, it's different. So the, to the foster care listeners who are like avid foster care advocates, like 100% foster care is cheaper. You it, a lot, but, and we can get into the nuances of that. But if you adopt domestically or internationally, you will be in that thirty to fifty thousand dollar range, uh, and sometimes further. Right? A friend of mine adopt from, adopted from an, an African country and spent ninety four thousand dollars. So even you, you're not going to earn ninety thousand dollars skipping meals right. and buying <laughs> <Right>. smaller cars. <laughs> yeah. right. So that's even to my parents. Like, and I make that statement. But my dad was still working really hard and doing really well to be able to do that because that's okay. an every other year expense. That was real. That's real money, he was just handling it responsibly.
1: So what has this, so you have two kids, is that correct? We do. You have two. So what has it been like for them? You know, knowing how you were raised, what you guys, um, you know, all the things that you guys are passionate about. Like you said, your mom, you know, if you you can't breathe, um, what'd she say, you can't breathe, if you don't solve it you know and that thing for you guys as a family now your family unit what does that look like for your kids growing up um, you know knowing your stories how you came together and what you're passionate about I mean are they passionate about the same thing how do they respond and how does it how does it shape their culture and their lives right now hmm.
2: It's a good question
3: it's a good question it um, even though Hank's siblings, all look different, have different skin tones, and no one looks alike. Um, they did not put together that they all did not come from Gigi's belly. <laughs> wow. You know, they just all assumed, well, they're all from her belly. Right. There was no distinction. And even when we start talking about adoption when our oldest, you know, was five and kind of highlighting, you know, how families are different and our family's different in this way. She goes, which of the kids are adopted, you know? And then, and, um, you know, the, the skin tones range from pale ghost white to midnight black, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so there's something very beautiful about that, that in her, in their eyes, family is just family. Doesn't matter who the mom was. And now that they, Totally understand how adoption works and the reality of it and celebrate World Adoption Day and yeah. um, celebrate the kids in their classes who are adopted or have different family structures. Um I don't know that they understand the magnitude. There are 19 million orphans in the world who don't have both, who don't have any parent. Um, but I hope, I hope that um they mature with that world view of, mm-hmm. of the need and the pain and the beauty
2: mm-hmm. of okay. it. I think it's also a lot of work Yeah, running Adopt Together. <laughs> so I think they see it as like, oh, that's like the job that those people yeah. do when they're well, doing... Because tell
0: people it. They, that's not your only job, Hank. I mean, you've got you got a pretty big job.
2: Who are all these pe- volunteers at our house? Like, I, I don't know. I think they see it as like, it means dinners and it means meetings and tons of my br- dad has tons of brothers and sisters and they all have different cultural background. Like, I think, I don't know that they have, uh, have connected those dots at nine and seven.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So specifically specifically with Adopt Together, and I was just looking at some of the stats and some of these may be old. Can you uh, explain again what I- Adopt Together does? Because we're talking about some of the barriers. So maybe explain how Adopt Together actually works. And then I think it would be very insightful to even hear some of the statistics of why this is such a huge need in terms of our culture, how many people are in this system that don't have a home. So maybe start with just the, the actual role that Adopt Together plays, how it works.
3: Cool. Adopt Together is the world's first and largest crowdfunding platform for adoption because the cost of adoption is so high and can be a major limiting factor for adoption. We started adopt together before any crowdfunding, you know, before GoFundMe and things like that.
0: Wow, that's crazy! We thought
3: it's a way that a village can show up. It takes a village to raise a family, to raise yeah. a child, and this is a way that the village really can tangibly show up. And everyone has someone in their life who you would totally support and champion being a parent. You know, they'd be amazing parents, and and how can you support that happening? Yeah. So we start adopt together where a family can create a profile, fundraise for their adoption expenses and invite their community to join them in the journey of parenthood. Yeah. And um it's a tax deductible donation to a 501c3. So um while you you would love to support your brother in their adoption, you could also get a tax deduction. So that's kind of how it came about. And then families request funds to cover their adoption expenses. Um, and we vet those those supporting documents and 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 receipts oh, yeah. and such to make sure they're adoption related. And then we issue a grant. Oh
0: my gosh. So how many, how many kids? in America are there that are right now in first of all in foster care. Do you do you have an idea kind of that five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand. And then and not are like thirty thousand LA county? is that right? LA county LA has thirty
2: thousand kids in foster care. Of that five hundred thousand estimates roughly are that about a hundred thousand of them are adoptable, which means that parental rights have been terminated. Okay. Um so there's a lot of nuances to all the things we're about to dive into so I just want to like make that qualifier to yeah. your listeners That's who are so like cool. wait a second it's like y- there's so many yeah. factors to it okay
0: and then can you explain also for people listening cuz we're we're on this journey of learning about a lot of this stuff as well Julie's a little bit further ahead than me I'm I'm catching up I'm
1: ready to foster today
0: Um, yeah, she got on a call yesterday. I was like, who are we talking to? And all of a sudden we're on this huge call about foster care. I was like, wow, good. Thanks for the heads up. Um, I'm learning, learning quickly. Um, but tell me, you know, how many kids age out? Because I know that's a big deal every year is kids. Once they turn 18, right. They're no longer able to be a part of the foster care system. Is that correct? Yep. And so what is that number typically in a year?
2: So about 25,000 kids age out every year which means at 18 years old they're no longer a ward of the state they become adults imagine if you lived in a household you and your parents were like see you're 18 there's a bag Good luck. literally what happens their stuff gets packed in a trash bag if they're lucky and they're set off now there's a lot of programs and a lot of like
0: secondary transition
2: transition options but if you're not administratively gifted enough to deal with the complexities That is the uh, let's say if you've ever gone to the DMV and you're like, yeah, let me put a 17 year old into this system and have them navigate it. Like it's 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 the it's the poorest. I mean, our governmental systems at a local level are some of the poorest runs operations in the world. If they were if they were businesses, they would be bankrupt a million times over. So now put a 17 year old kid who doesn't have a printer or a notary or like fill in the blanks on all the things that we could say that are so, so stupid. Uh, Then those kids age out and 56% of them become chronically unemployed, which I think is the lowest number. That's a low number. That's incredible that 44% get employed. Uh, 25% of them are homeless chronically or immediately many of them are homeless immediately and then find a way or find a space. And 80%, 80% of children who are trafficked in this country come from foster care. They are a target Mm -hmm. to predators, uh, extremely vulnerable, 80% of trafficked children of women who are forced into prostitution or start when they're young are come out of the foster care system. The most staggering of all is that The United States incarcerates more human beings than any other country in human history. And 80%, 80% of those prisoners uh, have touched our foster care system. So I think that's a, we're safe to say we found the wound, right? Like the femoral artery is bleeding at, at that level. And that's what that foster care system. Uh, is a symptom of it. The foster care system is not the cause, it's not the disease. Right. It's a symptom that then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, the femoral artery is bleeding. That is the mm-hmm. that system. Because but it's a on, failure of, of our societal environment.
3: Yep. It doesn't average how many homes does a child in the foster care how many homes have they been through?
2: Statistically, but the time a child ages out of the foster care system, they've been in 55 different homes.
3: So if you if in your formative years as a child don't have that right. security and that bond, it's tough as an, as an adult, quote unquote, at 18, to then operate in a healthy, adjusted, right. mentally so, well way. So you know? as
2: you can imagine, when a kid grows up in a suburb and has two great parents and turns out to be an a-hole,
0: yeah.
2: I have a hard time with that. Totally. Because I go, <laughs> you entitled... Yeah. You don't even, you know what I'm saying? Like I have a really hard, <laughs> in my, I'll be 40 in January. So I just avoid them now. But when I was in my twenties, I would, again, with the front row seat that I learned of with my life, growing up and seeing kids that didn't have a shot. I'm not even saying they had a, they were zero. I'm saying they were the cratered part of the ground yeah. of the totem pole. They're the part buried in the ground. They don't have a shot. And then you see these kids squander their parents' money and get DUIs because they're stupid and they drink and hype. I've, I had zero, I had no, you know, Empathy. Whatsoever (laughs) because it's just crazy. And that's to me, the, the, the I can't stand it no more moment for us was the seven years of my family watching these kids come in and out of our home, trying to love as much as we could, but realizing like, now there's a systemic problem, and if you don't get permanence, you don't have a shot. That permanence doesn't doesn't heal the wounds, but it's the only chance you have right. to to bring healing and to bring any stability to a child's life. Wow! You
1: know, I want to. You know, you were just talking about man these kids that have two parents and. Some kids have everything literally they ever want. They're spoiled. Some just have, hey, you may grow up poor, but you have two parents that are there nonstop. Whatever the situation is, what would you say to families or even singles? I don't care who you are listening. Wherever you're coming from, that's like, oh, this is really awesome. I mean, I'm not, I don't really want to adopt or I already have my kids um, or I, whatever they're, wherever they're coming from. What do families need to know whether they choose to adopt or not? What do they need to know? You know, when we think about that, you know, your quote, family is the solution to almost anything. We talk about family changes, culture, you know, we always say family, family, family is the answer. And somebody's listening going, oh, that's really cool for the people that care about foster care or adoption or, oh, and I hear you. That's really important, but that's not for me. I mean, what would
2: you say? Our ethic, yeah, our ethic is, and that's part of the smiley face on the hand. Every single human being is recruitable to the movement of helping these families uh bring these kids home. Um Suan and I have two biological children and everyone's like, "Oh, well, you did so much in adoption. You guys have to adopt." I go, "No, no, no. You don't you missed the the plot here. The whole concept is that not everyone's household is right for or is equipped for adoption. Mm. If that is not right for your family to adopt, it shouldn't be like a well. We need to do it, or well, that's what the world yeah. wants from us. That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm not yeah. a I'm not a pro adoption evangelist, right? Yeah. I am a. There are families trying to adopt that want to bring stability and love into the homes of so many children. And uh, what is on all of us, and what is an opportunity for all of us to do is support those families. Yeah. And so that's where you can put a smiley face on a hand and raise awareness or bring people's conversation to adoption or you give a hundred dollars to this family and a hundred dollars to this family. You can throw a fundraiser for your friend. I think that's where if someone's listening and they're like, man, I don't want to adopt, but I want to help people. I'm too old or my household isn't right, or I'm not married, or I don't feel like that's for us. All good. There's yourself. a whole lot of people I love that. willing to dive headfirst into all of the, of the chaos and all of the beauty that can come of that uh, and get on the front row of all the trauma and the hurt you got to support those people. Like I I describe it as putting, if a, if there was a war going on and a a young able-bodied soldier was like, man, if I could just get there, Mm -hmm. I would go rescue people. I'm a medic. I'm here to do this. You would buy that guy a plane ticket and a backpack and a pair of good boots. Mm -hmm. That, that is what we're doing is we're giving these families uh, hopefully as many of the tools as we can assemble and the resources and the finances for them to be able to begin that journey.
0: Isn't that how it started for you? That wasn't there a friend of yours that was gonna adopt? And so you guys, you kind of started this thing almost for him and had yeah, no idea yeah, where that would go. And then to this day, how many families, how much money have y'all raised and how many families have you helped?
2: We are...
3: We are, we told the IRS when we applied, we would uh, raise a million dollars and help 25 families. We're about to hit our 10 year anniversary. And though we don't have all the numbers from this year, um, we are we've helped over five thousand families raise over twenty six million dollars.
0: Wow, five thousand families twenty. Yeah, because when
2: you applied for your five, just to clarify that when you apply for your five hundred one c three, you have to give a five year vision and goal and projections, mm-hmm. and we projected a million dollars in five years. Because we were like, that's a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. That's <laughs> like a million
3: dollars. And this is just a, it was just a, a passion project. It wasn't our full time jobs or anything. We didn't have a staff, you know. So we just were like, yeah, in five years, a million dollars. A million bucks sounds
0: big. It. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of money. So how do you, when you look back, like, how do you think that happened?
3: There was a need. Yeah. There were families. There we had no market. We've not spent a dollar in marketing. It's word of mouth because these families who want to bring these kids home are desperate and looking for ways to make it happen. And, um,
2: and if there's people thinking, listening to you, thinking, man, I want to start a nonprofit or I have an idea. I always tell people, man, the, the nonprofits that fail are your idea and your passion. You. The nonprofits that work are your idea and someone else's problem, like a oh, tangible God. problem. So you could be like, oh, I want to start a nonprofit that raises money for schools in Florida that uh, are in my neighborhood. It's like, okay, cool. If that's somebody's problem, that could work. Right. Like, and I'm, again, I'm not even picking on Florida. I love me some Florida, but I think that's part of the, we didn't set out to start a large organization, but we did set out to start a sustainable one and didn't want to start something that was our idea or something that we were just passionate about we wanted to start it going, I think this solves a problem what for the donors, saved? right? It solves a problem for the donors because there's, there's a tax deduction solution here. And everyone's, everyone's looking for that. And I, it solves a huge problem for the families and it solves problems for the kids. So we felt like we were onto something on that framework. Yeah. And that's whenever someone's starting a nonprofit, I always go, whose problem are you solving? Yeah. If you start a nonprofit to solve yours, that's called the... A- Great point like a personal foundation or something and I hope you have your own money but I think that's some of of what's helpful
1: that's amazing well what a story that your mom here has this passion to solve something and then you see this legacy and as the Mm -hmm. generations go on it's going to be amazing to see the story unfold that started with your parents going yeah Yeah. we're gonna say yes to this like Again, I love that. Like, if I don't solve it, like, I literally can't breathe if I don't solve it. So it's amazing.
0: And I'm sure they're thinking, oh, I wish you'd have this started this 30 years ago when we had 36 foster kids. That had been great. Yeah. <laughs> is, is
1: there is there any myth or anything you'd love to debunk for people that are like, well, no, I want to foster or I want to adopt, but I, I don't know if it's for me or um, I don't know if I can do it. I mean, obviously, you guys are solving amazing problems. And and one area, but is there anything that you would love to share for those that maybe like Chris and Julie Bennett sitting here? Um, no. Yeah. Anything you'd want to share with people listening that they need to know?
2: It's a big one. Um,
3: I would debunk the myth that uh, you adopt a child and you heal them and it's all great.
2: That's good. You debunk the, there's a movement on the internet of adoptee adult adoptees saying that the adoption is love narrative is destructive um, I don't know if I agree with it completely but I do understand its sentiment, which is um, adoption is not plan a for anybody hmm. it, it, adoption is 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 a uh, there's been a death an ending, a loss yeah. a tragedy yeah. a beyond like a, an archetypal tragedy right? That will live with that adoptee for the rest of their entire life. So to think that you that adoption is sort of like this recreation of a family or this like oh we had two children we'll adopt two children. I think that's a massive. I think it's a re- that's probably the largest of all the myths is that the adoptive parents somehow are just gonna we were parents we can do this here. Uh, it's a whole different thing. Um, I think the the most important myth to eliminate is that somehow as a proponent of adoption or supporter of adoption or as adoptive parents is that somehow, so I'm going to turn this around and say, I think it's important that children, adult adoptees and people who are observing this do not see people who are pro adoption or who have adopted like my family from eight different countries. Right. Uh, We know that isn't the plan, right? right? We know that isn't the goal. And I don't think I I think it's important that people who are pro-adoption aren't perceived as someone who thinks that everything's going to be smooth and A-OK. Because I don't think anybody really thinks that. I think everybody knows a story. Everybody knows a moment and everybody knows it's there. Um, And I would want adult adoptees around the world. I would want families around the world to know that uh, we, you're stepping into an extremely complex thing and believing that, through family, you can heal even the complexities of what it looks like for you to have a Chinese brother on a baseball team, for you to have a child who has tantrums in the middle of a store, who has childhood trauma that nobody in the store is going to understand and you don't care if they're going to watch or not. Does that make sense? Like you, yeah. You're entering into like the most maybe complex system that there is. Um, and I think I would want that myth to be changed in both ways, for families to know This is not the simple way to raise a family or to find family. Mm -hmm. And then for uh, adoptees and other people from the outside to perceive it and realize, Hey, adoptive parents, they know that. And they're, they're okay to do it anyways.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of takeaways. I think the big thing for me to even, think talk to talking with Julie, I think to say like we all can play a part. And I think sometimes even hearing you guys, I've thought, well, that means we have to do this one thing. And I think what you're saying is there's a lots of different ways we can participate in solving this major issue, um, you know, that's in our culture, that's not going away anytime soon. Right. And um I think, you know, even I reading about the family, the people, you I think you call them the family, people that give financially, that help bring funding, um, the people that raise awareness, and then the people that step into a more active role and um, engaging with it. But, you know, how can people listening maybe be more connected to what you guys are doing? What can they follow? How can they keep up and then take maybe that next step forward?
2: I think the easiest way, everyone, everyone has Instagram, powered by Meta. And I think if everybody... Uh, You can find us on Instagram at adopt together. You can find me at Hank Suen as at Fojo. And I think that the most important thing you can do is if you hear someone talking adoption, you can provide them. Hey, did you know that you can fundraise for that? I think that's an opportunity to have that conversation. I think it's putting a smiley face on your hand around world adoption day uh, and just letting people know, Hey, I know someone adopted or I am adopted myself and having that open conversation.
3: Or I'm, I'm supporting families that look different. That are different yeah. than mm-hmm. the traditional structure, you know? Yep. Um the other know. the other myth I think I want to debunk going oh, yeah. back yeah. is yeah. not a myth, but is actually the fear that no one will support you if you fundraise. Very vulnerable. Very vulnerable, it's scary, it's risky. People have different relationships psychologically and emotionally with money mm-hmm. asking for help. That's really good. But I would say the number one thing that comes back from our families who fundraise is just the utter gratitude and shock at, that, that people show up and support in different ways. Mm. Um, we have a donor right now who gives $3 a month. So you awesome. know, there's different ways that people give and show support. And-,
2: and almost every family comes back to us and say people we don't even know yep. gave.
3: This the most surprising thing is the people I thought would give did not And the, and people I had, I never thought would give, have given. Someone
2: I haven't spoken to since high school. Somebody I went to kindergarten with some guy I never even met. Like it's cool to watch that happen partially because of maybe our last takeaway, which is the other way that you can support is, um, go online and find a family them. whose story touches you and say, man, I'm gonna get behind those people and push.
1: I experienced that so much going through cancer and, you know, a GoFundMe and that comes back and it's that fear of like, oh, I mean, it is. It's like, why does all my crap and my wounds come up of like, are they going to judge me? Do they think I'm this? And you're amazed at who gives and yeah, that's such a great point. Thanks for sharing that.
0: Well, I think, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, God's heart is for the orphan. I think that's this thing that God's put in us to be a solution, to bring help to this thing that's so on his heart. And I thank you guys for being a huge part of solving this problem, playing your role, making us more aware. And uh, we'll do everything we can to to champion you guys and adopt together and uh, really believe in you guys and what you're doing. And so, so thankful for you making time for us.
2: Yeah. Cool. Thank
1: you Thanks so for so having much. us,
2: guys.
1: We'll have to go to dinner soon, and you and I can just talk the whole time, okay, Hank?
2: Yes. You lock right land <laughs> down, and then we'll just crosstalk. We there we go. That and
1: time. our spouses can just knee us under the table, and we'll go. And oh, can you okay. debunk
0: the myth I heard that you started Hank's Bagels in LA? Can you just debunk that?
2: I wish I did. Oh okay. when that baby started. He did kind of start a campaign that he should
3: at least get free coffee. As a Hank,
2: as one of the only Hanks most people know, like I texted somebody that I got their number and I text them and said, Hey, whatever, this is Hank, whatever. They're like, is this Hank Fortner? I'm like, if you know another Hank, I want to know his last name because I'm um, Hanks point this to is be a... your only Hank. Like I'm at Hank on Instagram. I'm trying to be, Literally the only Hank. So I feel like Hank's bagels owes me like a 10% discount on like a free bagel Lifetime
0: bagels. I mean, something. Hank, if you're If listening. I name
2: something, Johnny's. I feel like every Johnny should get like a. I don't know.
0: All right. We'll start a whole movement around that, bro. We got your back. We got your bagels. Yeah. We'll a lot, of, a lot of dogs eight. getting free bagels. Here, here.
2: We can Thanks. draw a bagel on your... <laughs> oh, draw a bagel in the hand. i like, I get a tattoo? Do I get a free? You've seen that before where like people who get the tattoo get a free one. And I'm like, well, it's like my literal identity, right? I can get
0: that removed. To, like, cause this is my Yeah, name. you should get more than a bagel if you get a tattoo. I think mm-hmm. lifetime. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey. Hopefully we meet in person soon. But we, uh, Bless you guys, and go get your kids to bed. Yeah. And uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us, guys. All right. Take All right see ya. Yeah.
2: See
0: ya. We're not done yet. Get that coffee refill because it's time to unpack.
1: Wow, that was um, that was some good stuff.
0: That was really good stuff.
1: Really good, especially since I am putting my feet in the waters of foster care and learning a lot and And dragging me into it (laughs) i am i'm dragging you into the water where you belong (laughs) what i
0: don't know know i mentioned this but literally last night oh i'm I'm dropping (laughs) blue for like a dark (laughs) appointment and all of a sudden she's on speakerphone and she's three minutes into a conversation like wow this guy's asking a lot of stuff about our family and and then I'm I'm trying to mouth you. What what is this about? Oh, it's it's about foster care. I was like, really? And I, this guy's talking okay. as if it's like
1: Okay done. Here's the deal, guys. Let's just have a little marital moment here. That, Chris. Knows he should have known. Call me Krish. He, Krish. <laughs> Chris. Chris, Chris. knows. It's late at night, guys, right now. No, Chris should have known because he was actually on a Zoom call with this person, and he had to get up early. So I'm, I'm sorry, baby. You should have known. I'm sitting here like you know.
0: Well, that yeah, it was a few weeks ago, and and anyway, yeah, I learned a lot. It's great. No, I I am trying to be very open. Um, it's just hard to to fathom right now. But it's hard anyway. Because, yes, enough about us.
1: I'm just now cancer free so he's like, "Can we just get a little further <laughs> along?" and I'm
0: like, "Listen, let's go. Let's do this." Yeah, so what what So you guys uh, please
1: comment and write in uh, about that we need a fifth <laughs> child and no. Okay. Moving Good on. Good try. Chris is starting to sweat. So
0: It's true. Um well, hey, these guys are awesome and for a lot of different reasons, but I remember just kind of following the adopt together thing and you know, even as we've talked, you know, about adoption in the past, it's hard not to let your mind go to the place of like, golly, that's really expensive and all those things. But it's really cool that I think they're trying to just get rid of the barriers for people. So there's almost like no excuse, right? What, what, uh, I don't know, what jumped out to you about it?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, looking back when we, um, we pastored a church in Norman, Oklahoma, for like a decade. And Um, you know, a few years, even before we left, there was, we started something called Hope Moves and getting to see families and it was really just supporting the foster care system in Oklahoma. Um, and not to, I guess I could get into all the statistics, but I won't for the sake of time, but in, you know, being moved, watching families go through the process of foster care, some of our dearest friends, um, uh, walking them, watching them, um, foster a little girl that they thought they were about to adopt and then the story is basically this sweet little girl is returned to um, like restored back to her family and our friends that had fostered this little girl for a couple of years then becomes like part of their family and walks with them and it was it was really beautiful and but watching so many families go through so Mm -hmm. much it was really the first time where my heart was really captivated for this is a lot more than I understood and knew so I yeah. think that was. Um, I don't remember your question now. I started talking about, it. but yeah, I don't that's know. when our heart. I think our hearts were really first awakened to understand. This is. Um, there's a lot of kids. There's a lot of kids. What 500,000 kids in foster care yeah. alone. Um, Seventeen so point what eight million orphan children around yeah, the so world.
0: Two percent of the child population. Two percent is is in the system. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, 25,000 age out every year. It's just, it's, it's kind of overwhelming, but then you look at kind of the, the outcome that 80% of prison population was in, you know, foster care, 80% of girls forced into prostitution. And I just think to go back and say, okay, that those numbers are really overwhelming, but the fact that like, oh, there's something every single human being can do to, to kind of be a a solution, right? Yeah.
1: I think that's at the end of the you know, at the end of the day, the most powerful thing is, I love, I was, I was trying to remember it as we were talking, but he said something like, you know, about his mom, like, if you can't breathe, um, if you don't solve that, that's the thing that you go after. And I think that's so powerful. So sharing that my heart was awakened back when we were pastoring a church, I look at now, I listen to what he's sharing and it's about what is our part to play that can be in anything in life, but I really do believe we all have a part to play in the foster care adoption i mean crisis is that the right right thing to say i mean it is a crisis and what is it that we can solve because it looks different i don't think there's a formula for each family but if we're not asking ourselves the question and so what so, they've brought to the table is huge statistics alone yeah that
0: you know, even you know, that can be overwhelming right it can like, be overwhelming, like so absolutely. i want to ask you this i think i might know the answer because we have talked about it but I'll be honest. There's you. You know. There's been a couple times you start mm-hmm. talking. and I've like been like, I'm not ready. To, like I'm not there at all. He crawls I was... up
1: in a cor- corner, guys, and puts a blanket <laughs> over his head. It's really bizarre. I song. do that every
0: Thursday, anyway. <laughs> no, but but because I'm I don't know what is it for you though that's been the motivating factor. Like what's been moving you toward that?
1: Yeah, I um, I mean, you know, he said it when he was talking about um, when he was seven years old, and his parents are like your foster parents too he's like um, I'm seven years old you know I'm really really responsible but I'm seven and you know it's kids who need love don't care how old you are and I really wanted to go back and ask him what did that look like and you know for him to break that down a little bit more but um, for me it's I don't care that I just like I, I don't care that I just beat cancer I don't care that I'm tired right now like I have seen the power Of a child just feeling loved in a single moment, whether I get an hour with him, whether um, I get to dress up crazy and go to an elementary school, uh, or whether it's putting my kid at bed at night, you know, who's, you know, my child that I'm caring for. And just simply for me personally to know that I'm like, life is really short. I think that's more of a reality reality to me versus that's Mm. what we say life's really short, don't waste it. Well, and it's really short and when you fight for your life uh, for 3 years mm. um when you don't know what it's going to look like i'm like i i don't think about retiring someday i don't think about well joy's 10 and a half she has this much and then we'll be free yeah. i'm like and uh, because those are the things that like i feel like i can't breathe i, I mean that yeah i feel dramatic but no. it is a like
0: i've seen that in I, you i definitely know that's I, Something you carry deeply.
1: So if that's a way that I can show a kid and bring them under my roof, it makes me come alive.
0: I think for me, when my mind goes... Not that it doesn't you, but... No, no, I mean, I I think... I don't know if I answered the question. I I think about, okay, we have four kids. Our lives are already really full. Um, I go into very selfish mode. And not that there's not a reality. I mean, I think you said not every family is supposed to actually adopt, but we're all called to play a part. And, And I want to be open to that, but it is hard for me to think about... Margin And how do you, I can't even imagine what it would look like. And that's probably a lot because of how hard the last um, few years have been. But when I hear about like his parents and we didn't get to go into it, I would love to hear the hard part of it because I'm sure it's like we're hearing the amazing. Oh, my gosh. 36 sure. foster kids. I it's so kids. messy. As but you I'm said. sure that was extremely hard. But what I the part that stood out to me was his family was willing to make sacrifices for the sake of being a solution to the problem. I think that's right. just a reality, right? Anything that's, any problem that we're wanting to bring solutions to is going to cost us something, our time, our money, um, our energy, whatever it may be. And uh, I don't know, I think that's stuff that I've got yeah. to really process a little for bit sure. more.
1: I think pers- on a personal note, I look at our family and I look at what we've been through and where maybe somebody from the outside or maybe even you would be like that seems a little crazy or responsible because <laughs> you've been through a lot where I look at it as like I actually see that my kids just might be ready um and obviously we're processing here guys
0: <laughs> wow it's just getting real I feel like we're on like Darker Phil okay, and we're about I'm to sorry. like make a decision
2: well
1: this is called the unpacking so um hmm. but no I I see it as um
0: He's going to be like famous last words. I'm going to go back and listen oh to this. Like, that's when she got me. That was the moment.
1: No, just that our kids <laughs> are at a place. When you walk through hard, you know, the hope is, you know, waste that stuff you grow. And you, you know, you your characters are fine. you learn a few things? But I also, on a practical level, think our kids are at age where they would be able to, you know,
0: that's not well, let's weird. bring them in um, well hey I, I would say this kind of in a wrap-up of our unpacking let's unpack no. let's let's pack up our unpack okay uh, you know they did start world adoption day because they realized he didn't get to share about this but they were like oh we should launch this thing on world adoption day then they realized it didn't exist so they started it unfortunately we dismissed it by a few weeks or whenever this airs but it was November the 9th so you saw the the palm of the smiley face on it that that's the whole world adoption day Um, but i would encourage anybody if you're like me where you're like i can't even fathom it or you're like julie where she would love to already be further along in the process go to adopt together.org and uh, read about what they do and um, like they said go find stories that move your heart and then i would say you know pray about it talk to people about it and then take one step you know toward it right jules Am I talking to myself now?
1: Yeah. I think find your Popeye moment, right? Remember when you said that? that I love that. Popeye moment. So this has obviously just given us a lot to think about. I mean, as as a family, obviously we've been processing a little bit, trying to unpack it ourselves because we are actually in that season. Okay, well, I am. And Chris is slowly (laughs) coming along. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love that that's what this podcast does. It makes you think. It makes you ask the question. And it's like when you talked about the nonprofit. Like, if it's just your idea then it's not going to go very far but when it's your idea that actually is someone else's problem that you're solving that's huge and so how can we help solve this problem in the foster care system um and adopting and uh i think we all have a part to play so as a family we're just trying to figure that out and be faithful to steward that so yeah check these guys out
0: all right it's good stuff jules well Go to adopttogether.org. You can learn more about what Hank and Sue Ann are doing and how you can be a part. And uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on.
1: Are we singing again? You know they hate it. But let's do it. Fi- no, I get to start it this time. You see if you can harmonize. Okay. Bye. 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 Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I apologize. So here we go. We're finishing this. Bye, You're supposed to harmonize, honey. You can get this ready. Finding Finding family. family. Wow. Okay. Podcast. Wow. Bye. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening today. And the best way that you can help us get this message of family out to the world is by taking a minute to subscribe. Leave a rating, a review, and please share. You can also visit our site, FindingFamilyPodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram to stay connected. This is a production of Welcome Home Entertainment. This episode was produced by Dave Hanso and edited by Will Cotterall. Music by Drew Holcomb.
2: Family. All in this together.
1: Family. We're taking a chance. Family. blackbirds like have a feather.
2: Family. We got the shoes and dance.